What's up, everybody, and welcome to the PitcherBet Sports Podcast. On today's loaded episode, we've got the end of playoff season. NBA and NHL playoffs both come to an end in back-to-back nights. Denver Nuggets are the champs of the NBA, and the local Vegas Golden Knights raise the cup tonight, the night that we're recording, for their first title and their only six years of being in the NHL. Um, I'm your host here, Matt Guest. With me out in the city of champions, the potential city of athletics, and the city that calls the Raiders home, Matt Morris. How are you, sir? Popping the Zen in right on time. Oh, you know it. Yeah, man. Um, if this were next year, I'd probably have gone to the game tonight and just ponied up. What I would imagine would have been about $1,500 a ticket. Um, just assuming, right? clinching game that was i think expected to for most people in the oh, yeah. nhl circle to be a victory for the knights and god was it like i i checked early it was 2-0 checked a little bit later 4-1 and i was like damn they're smoking them turn the game on they score the ninth goal it's like okay <laughs> this is uh this is embarrassing but um yeah man very cool for vegas and um a lot happened right and we'll talk about this in yeah. a little bit but Today, the state assembly passed the $380 million bill for the A's. Um, you know, having a championship on the same day, as well as, you know, the boycott ending, which again, we'll talk about in a little bit. A lot happening for Vegas. <clears throat> and um, I think it's great. Like they showed the outside of the stadium, um, you know, the the fan section, right? I think this has started to take on the last <laughs> five or 10 years. And good amount of people down there. A lot of kids, a lot of people, their kids, like letting the kids experience a championship. And, um, yeah, man, just very, very exciting and honestly disappointing playoff ending for basketball and hockey for me at least. Um, I expected more out of the Panthers and the Heat. And man, Cinderella stories don't always have a nice ending. Yeah. Um, great for Vegas. Yeah, I mean, for both the teams, it just seemed as if, as if, excuse me, the wind in the sails just finally let out right Mm -hmm. when you and i when i was in town this past weekend we actually happened to watch the one night's game where they lost but even when they lost you and i were sitting there drinking beers and just saying damn if vegas just kept being um more aggressive they probably wouldn't have lost that game was that game three i think the game that they lost we were watching yeah that sounds Um, right yeah they took their foot off the gas and florida scored a couple goals late and then scored in overtime and but the whole time, and you and I aren't, we, we obviously don't talk hockey much on this podcast, but um, you could just tell by the body language, the speed, the strategy that the Knights looked better from, once again, our novice perspective. And yeah, man, what a great pro season for South Florida, right? If you're a for- Florida Panthers fan, a Miami Heat fan, yeah, it's a bummer you didn't win it, but at the end of the day, what an electric past month and a half for both of these teams. Um, Miami Heat beating Milwaukee, one of the biggest upsets in the first round in NBA history. And then for the Florida Panthers to beat the Boston um, Bruins, who had the best regular season record of all time. And I think the most points or the second most points in one NHL season ever. Once again, kind of novice on this, but awesome season. Sucks to see both of them go down. And I agree with you, Matt, because we were both looking for something amazing to happen, right? I was just waiting for Butler to do it, waiting for the heat to get hot again and do something that we've been expecting them to do all, you know, that they did all postseason. And 
the Joker and the Nuggets just didn't let it happen. And obviously Vegas tonight, nine to three or nine to two, whatever it was, that's that's an ass beating. Well, and this is a conversation I've had a lot over the last couple of months where it's like you can go through a couple teams and you can upset a few teams. This is for both the Panthers and the Heat. At some point, though, when you continue to play good teams, you're going to slip. Yeah. And, you know, you look at the Heat. Milwaukee is a great situation where, hey, some, you know, Giannis hurt himself. Momentum may have shifted. Okay, got that series. Boom, move on. Um, you go into against, it was, a, it was, who is the second round? They beat the, the Knicks, Sixers. but they're better than the Knicks for sure. Yeah, sure. They beat the Knicks, right? So that was kind of a blip. Celtics, right? Like out coached and out dogged the Celtics. Come up against the third good team that you're going to play, the best of the three. They just wipe the floor with you. And from the Panthers' perspective, hockey's a much more physically grueling sport. I mean, they lost their best player who didn't play tonight, right? Like it's been such a brutal postseason that I think the physicality probably wore on them, you know, having to play Boston, having to get to the Stanley Cup finals, and then to go up against a team that I don't know if we've talked about this on the pod yet but completely manipulated the cap so that they basically had a star player on their roster that didn't have to pay for him, um, mm. which was explained to me via the collective bargaining agreement. And I'm again, novice, more novice than even you are basically states that you don't, you don't work against the cap if you're on like the IR. And if you're activated for the postseason, there's, they don't get paid salaries in the postseason. So there is no salary cap in the postseason. <laughs> So if you IR Aaron Rodgers until playoff game one and you unactivate him, that's $55 million that you get to add to your roster during the regular season, have with you into the playoffs, and then AR Aaron Rodgers is back on the roster. Yeah, that's, uh, crazy. that's essentially what the Knights did. And it's actually something that like makes me want to be a hockey fan and learn about because I love that shit. Um, but this is something the Knights did. This is something the Lightning have done over the past couple of years, I guess, from a really big hockey fan that was explaining it to me. And it's a basically the strategy of how to win a Stanley Cup right now because you get an extra star player. Um, Stone tonight had the, I think it was the first hat trick since 1922. It's 101 years and in a closeout Oof. Stanley Cup um, winning game, or they you know like the one win, to win the championship. That's pretty yeah, incredible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, like John dominance, like you saw the Knights dominate. You saw Denver dominate. You saw Jokic dominate. Um, I didn't watch much of the hockey, but Stone tonight dominated just a lot of domination. And that in itself is cool, you know? Yeah, it is cool. And I mean, at the end of the day, moving on from hockey more to NBA, which I'm more privy to is you saw history, right? The Joker put up one of the most historic playoff runs of all time. And look, Denver was the best team this year, plain and simple. There's no arguing it. Obviously, I talk about NBA t culture, Twitter all the time here. Everyone's already trying to discredit Joker's run for the title this year, saying that, oh, they only had to beat the Suns and the Lakers. But round one, the Suns and the Lakers were both favored to win the title more than Denver. Denver knocked off that Suns team in, by an embarrassing fashion. And they also swept LeBron and AD after everyone was picking LeBron and AD to beat the Nuggets to go to the finals, just because they ended up being the better team, being the better coach team. And honestly, the thing that I want to get into with Denver outside of Jokic and Murray is how this actual collective group of individuals and the right signings by their front office with Contavious Caldwell Pulp, Aaron Gordon, 
um, Bruce Brown, Michael Porter Jr. They drafted, but these guys that they had coming off the bench and what I said, whatever it was at the beginning of the season or uh, the beginning of the finals was if Miami can't find a way to slow down this size and specifically a guy like Aaron Gordon, it's going to get out of hand for them because Denver matches up so well against Miami and it's because of great roster construction, right? Their roster construction, their four through six or seven guys were better than everyone else's. And then on top of that, you got epic performances from Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. And that's what team basketball is all about. Every single great player of all time has had really solid performances from their four through seven guys. You can look back, right? Michael Jordan with Steve Kerr. More recent memory for us growing up. Kobe Bryant, right? In those Lakers teams with Pau Gasol. It was Lamar Odom. It was Ron Artest hitting the big shot in game seven when Kobe couldn't hit anything. It's not always just about the superstars. And I think Denver's roster construction and those four through seven guys, specifically Aaron Gordon, um, Bruce Brown, and and, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope, amazing all throughout the postseason, but definitely in the finals, hitting big shots every single time. So I wanted to bring up this list real quick and just have this conversation because the thought kind of popped into my head, Denver being a homegrown team, we'll call it that. They ended up getting Gordon, which great call by you. I mean, I texted you when he scored 27 points the other night. It was like, you know, I'm not in the Twitter sphere of like who's calling shots, but you called out Gordon's, Gordon's performance in this, um, in this finals perfectly. And it was a great call. And he was brought over. I think it was probably just a deadline deal kind of a, a throw-in player yeah um who has turned into kind of the player we expected to when he was drafted which is very good at times but not a superstar um but he's on a good team so he has provided value and <coughs> my Bless apologies <laughs> um and i wanted to bring up the concept that this is a homegrown team and i wanted to look back on the past few finals <coughs> Goodness gracious. And really look at kind of, as I said, back in 2021, when the Bucks won, the changing of the guard, 2019 Raptors win a world title for that. The Warriors took the 18, uh, 17 season. You know, we had Durant and we're not going to call that a homegrown team because let's be real. Durant is kind of the variable in that outside of everyone else. But 2019 Raptors win. They ended up trading for Kawhi Leonard. Um, they don't have, this isn't a super team. You know, this Kawhi Leonard's team with the assets that were basically built around that team before Leonard was acquired win the championship. 2022, or excuse me, 2020, kind of the variable, the Lakers win, right? In the bubble. Bubble. You have LeBron, you have AD, who was acquired for basically any valuable asset that the Lakers had. 21, Bucks win. 22, home built Warriors win. 2023, home built Nuggets win. And I think the biggest thing that I, and the biggest reason I bring this up is because of the comments that you talked about with Jokic being discredited. It's not Jokic's fault that the NBA went super teams. It's not the, it's not Jokic's fault that the Lakers don't have any young depth because they traded all of it for players that either didn't work out or AD who was dominated by Jokic in that playoff series. Yep. And I think this is what I've really seen over the last few years now you have a disparity in the way that a lot of these rosters are set up outside of Milwaukee, Golden State, the Nuggets, Boston. Teams just gave up all of their draft picks and decided to roll with the guys they have, and they weren't able to develop the role players that you traditionally see. There isn't this balance of, okay, the Lakers have LeBron, who's 38. They have AD. They've also got you know XYZ player that 
is going to step up. They had players that stepped up in this postseason, but it was completely out of nowhere, and they got lucky. At least that's my take as a novice basketball fan. And if you can't put that narrative on Jokic of he didn't do anything when you've beaten LeBron James and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Sure, these teams don't necessarily (laughs) have a depth, but that is how they chose to build their roster. And I think if we look at five years now, four of the five teams that won a championship were homegrown. It's time for these GMs to really start taking a look. And I've said it to you before, they're already screwed. The thunder and the control that they have with draft picks is incredible. These teams that have been doing it right, saying we are going to push it down the road 2024, 2025, and we're going to control the next decade. I really think I have put a lot of these other teams at a disadvantage, but you do have the window for the Nuggets like we talked about last episode wide open. You know, this is it a five-year window um, until jo- Jokic just decides, hey, I'm retiring at 32 years old. I'm going I'm to go race, race horses. horses. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is just hilarious in its own right. But I want to go back to what you were saying about the homegrown factor. And I agree with you. And all those ones were homegrown. But the homegrown guys needed the one big move, right? You go back. And I'm even going to call that 28 Warriors team that got KD 17 and 18. That was all homegrown. And they shipped out everyone else for Durant. They really didn't bring much more there. They had their homegrown guys. Mm-hmm. KD wanted to go there, right? They lose Harrison Barnes. They lose a couple other guys throughout that. But look, that's pretty much a homegrown squad. They get their guy. 2019, homegrown squad with the Toronto Raptors, right? And then who do they get? Kawhi Leonard. Bring in with the homegrown squad when 2020, uh, 2020 bubble, same thing. After the 2020 season, the Bucks trade a lot of assets for Drew Holiday, the one missing piece. They win the title. The next year after that, let's not forget the Warriors dish D'Angelo Russell, get Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins ends up being a massive piece to that homegrown team team to help win the title last year. This year, that piece wasn't necessarily a big name starter. It ended up being the Aaron Gordons, the KCPs, the Bruce Browns, right? Like the guys that rounded out the team. And the obvious X factor was Murray being back from that ACL, which now opens the window for Denver's run here in the next few years in the Western Conference. And it's on Golden State to see if they can keep their guys around without impacting the salary cap too much, right? Um, You go down the line, what's going to happen with Portland and Damian Lillard? What's going to happen with the LA Clippers? What's going to happen with the Lakers? And what's next for LeBron and that team? They're not getting any younger. Um, And then what's going to happen here, probably by next podcast, is the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant. You know, there's a lot of questions in the Western, Western Conference. But long story short here is there's a lot of teams with homegrown pieces that are maybe one move away. And that's shown to be even more successful than the homegrown teams is who's pushing the right buttons and who isn't <clears throat> the Nets. <laughs> well, yeah, and and I would argue, you know, you look at the Milwaukee's right now. We've talked about this with Chris Middleton and the decision Milwaukee has and probably should have moved on from him last offseason. There's a lot of teams that are kind of teetering on the brink of competitive dynasty status. And the Lakers are in that kind of category, right? Like when I say dynasty, I I think more of like playoff contention. Um, 
and year in year out then i would really think about the golden state warriors championship dynasty but it's really crucial that these teams make some some really hard decisions this offseason and, and look at what do we do to make sure we're playoff teams for like three to five years and i think the lakers are in the hardest stretch of that because the reality is lebron's gone in two or three years like he's just gonna be Max. done yeah um and also kind of i think the importance of what you talked about with it being the small pieces these are things that the milwaukee's and the golden states and then the miami's have been trying yeah. to do with bringing in this key player you know but the problem is that they leave right like yeah. at the end of the season the team doesn't have enough cap where they can hold on to a guy like um ingles I think from milwaukee is a good example pj or, tucker pj tucker from milwaukee great example um you know gordon's acquisition like i even thought back when he was moved over there it's like damn that's super sneaky like controllable player hasn't really produced in the nba gonna have a smaller contract and be able to hold on to him for a little while like that's the interesting pair with jokic too yeah how is that gonna work two bigs really isn't normal for nba and gordon isn't a three-point shooter he's kind of a it's kind of a floater out there, especially mm-hmm. with the Joker at the five. And um, oh, lo and behold, you got to play the Heat, who literally don't have another big man besides Bam Adebayo. And here we are with this massive, massive mismatch that works out in their favor incredibly. Because Gordon yeah. can defend too; he's a very good defender. He played great. Denver, Denver looked amazing. They were great all year. Well, and I said this to you when we started um, this kind of coverage on this finals, which is. Jokic needs to get when Giannis got his. Like, you build a team with a superstar who is MVP caliber, has one MVPs. Your city deserves it. And yeah. put aside how Jokic feels about winning a championship. Like, <laughs> you know, Denver got theirs now, and the NBA can change however it has to change. Whether he gets another one doesn't necessarily matter. Like, the Nuggets got everything they could have from a lot of luck that was drafting Jokic. And, you know, same thing for Milwaukee with drafting Giannis, as we've talked about. But, you bring a championship to a smaller market, you've done your job as a, as a career. Your career is solidified in gold. And then he, what did he lead the postseason in points, rebounds, assists? First player ever. First player um, ever to do it. Yeah, dude, he's, he's special. He's it's an all-time special. performance. All-time performance. Congrats to the Nuggets. Uh, congrats to the, congrats to the Golden Knights. Honestly, congrats to South Florida too. You know, a tough loss, but. Um, I think I'll save some Jimmy Butler stuff later down the line. I think it's obvious he he fell a little short. I haven't dug deep enough into what happened. I wouldn't be surprised if it came out that he was playing injured from that rolled ankle, I think, game three against Boston because he did sit out in game uh, in that series. Ultimately, the Heat going seven games and not being able to sweep or end Boston in five games, I think that really, really hurt them coming into the nba finals but it is what it is man and we're moving on to your future baseball team maybe your Mm -hmm. new second favorite team the oakland a's so i'm gonna pass this over to you tell me a little bit about this sit-in boycott the fans did today as well as the bill or i don't know if it's technically a bill whatever happened out there in vegas for the money getting approved for the oakland a's to come to las vegas in i don't know what year yeah, I think right now it would be 2025 season. They would hit Vegas. I'm um, pretty sure their lease at the Coliseum is ending 2024. So it okay. sounds like they'll play in Oakland next year. And then the plan is for them to come to Vegas 2025. They're actually going to play at the new uh, AAA facility that is in Summerlin, 
Las Vegas. Uh, you know, it's the ritzy area where all the rich people live. Um, <laughs> kind of sucks if you ask me. But anyways, uh, Bill had to go through Senate like anything for, par- for public funding. Um, $380 million was the requested amount. It uh, passed Senate today, vote, I think, 12 to 7, 12 to 8. Um, some tweaks were made, and that's really all the article that I read today kind of um, alluded to is that tweaks were made to protect the taxpayer. Um, I'm assuming there are clauses in place that basically require the A's to stay here for X amount of years. I know when Milwaukee did theirs, the brewers weren't allowed to relocate f- until the um, tax was done. Milwaukee's tax rate, I think, was like 0.5% for Miller Park. <clears throat> But I would imagine it would be similar here in Vegas. Has to go to state assembly, which is a 44-person vote, um, which is what I read. And then once it passes state assembly, it goes straight to the governor, um, who is our former sheriff. He is a Republican member. So he's been the one pushing this heavily for for us to get the A's because it's just good for business, right? It's a very Republican-style run. Um, and ironically, today was the Oakland A's fan base's um, you know, anti-boycott, which was... Let's all show up. Let's all wear, sell the team shirts. Let's just, you know, completely crap on the owner that is Fisher, who is a dick. But, you know, it's business. I understand what he's doing here with moving to Vegas. It significantly raises the value. And you and I have talked. Anyone that's listening should know the current state of the Bay Area. Uh, For business owners, it's not great. Like, it's just just the reality of life. And uh, they were able to pull 27,000 fans today to their game. And they were competitive in this game. I didn't actually see they won. recently. Did they Seven win? straight. Yeah. So they won today. Um, everyone had a, a sell t-shirt on. It was great. I said, <laughs> yeah, you got to have one cool. guy. One guy should be out there with a I'll buy it shirt. You know, like I'll buy the team. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think ultimately, and you and I spoke on the phone about this today, fans can have an impact on decision making. And things can change drastically with the movement of teams as we've seen in the past, the sale of teams. And I said to you today, I think the biggest reason it passed through um, through state Senate today was Vegas is just looking at this like we don't want momentum to build for a possible buyer to come in and for them to stay in Oakland. And now I thought that was probably 0.001% of the chance things yeah. can grow. So getting this deal done and for the A's to move to Vegas is important, not only for the Vegas market, but for ownership of the A's. And the more and the more traction you get from A's fans just makes this messier. So if they can get a finalized deal sooner than later, I think that's for the best. I think probably in the next month we have a finalization. Uh, once that financial deal is officially in place, then Major League Baseball owners have to meet and approve the relocation for Mr. Fisher and the A's. And once that's approved, it's done. Then they will be officially on the move. And I think things will then settle down. You know, Once the fans of Oakland know their team is gone, um, there's no going back. The financial agreements are in place and the loans start to actually be handed out. That's it's over. Um, yeah. But I can't imagine what it must have been like to be a player for Oakland today. You have the fan chanting every 30 seconds to sell the team. Like you're an employee under the owner of this organization and you, your fan base hates the organization, hates them. Um, and yet you're still out there playing really hard for those fans. Like it's, it's a weird middleman that this ownership group is in that this front office is in because they're hated. And, um, it'll be interesting also to see the transition to Vegas and and what happens. I would not be surprised for the Vegas A is to be sold by 2029, 2030 and have a new ownership group step in. 
Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens to the roster, you know? Obviously, they're hot right now, and that's part of baseball, and teams get hot, teams get cold. They still have one of the worst records in all of the MLB, even though they've won seven straight. And that's the thing. When they move to Vegas, they're going to need to be a sell. I was joking with the people I was with in Vegas this weekend is that the Knights are Vegas's team, in my opinion. Like, I do not think the Raiders are Vegas's team. The Knights were the first team that put Vegas on the map for professional sports, showing the world that, hey, this isn't just a city where you're hung over for three days after you leave. This is actually a really, really good town with great loyal fans. And in six years, they've brought in t- brought a title to Vegas. And I think they've I know they've lost one, potentially two Stanley Cup finals already. They've been competitive for six years and They're always sold out. One of the main attractions um, on the strip and in Vegas, the Raiders is the NFL and it's all that. Right. But the A's, they're going to be in Summerlin to your point. They're not going to be anywhere near the strip right off the bat. Their roster is garbage. We'll say below average right now. Right. Respectfully. And you need to get butts in the seat. You're getting all this public funding. I know it's not $7 billion like they were asking for in the Bay Area, but $360, $370 million, that's no chump change, right? Um, they're going to need to make a really, really big impact. And I, I kind of hope the move doesn't go smoothly just for the owner, but I also hope somehow, some way, there's this miracle that happens and the A's make a pennant run right or like somehow make the wild card maybe next season like their very last season in oakland and just give specifically the city of oakland one last thing to cheer about because it is absolutely tragic what has happened to that city and those sports fans the warriors being uprooted out of oakland and going to san francisco obviously the raiders leaving oakland um a couple years ago and then to lose their a's out of all of that is it just really sucks for all the people that live there, honestly. And I just feel mostly, I mostly feel bad for them. And obviously the players too, because the players want to play for the fans, but they're also getting the checks cut by the owner. So they're in a really weird spot. I loved the boycott today or the boy boycott in boy in boy, yeah. boy in. <laughs> I don't know what they're calling it. I thought it was really cool. Um, from the highlights I saw on Twitter, the, the players looked fired up to play for the fans and there's a lot of emotions. And then promptly, in true Oakland Coliseum style, um, they threw trash on the field after the game. So um, it just it all kind of came full circle. But um, for me, I liked it. The sale is going to go through. I hope it ends tragically for the owner of the A's because I, those people don't deserve what happened to them. Well, and I think the biggest financial thing for me is I, I would, as a league, have said, you're not coming to Vegas. Um because it has to go through the commissioner's office first. And he, he, he's been helping broker this deal the whole time. And for me, from a financial perspective, I they, they're going to open up, this is the word, two teams in expansion after the A's deal is done. Once the A's have decided right where they're going, it's now Vegas, okay. Once the move is done, Major League Baseball will open up the bidding for uh, two expansion teams. And they may decide where the teams are going to be, or it may be the bids. And then the people are like, okay, we, these are the cities you can choose from. But my point of this is Las Vegas is a massive market. It's in between San Francisco, Oakland, LA, Orange County, Denver, Arizona, Washington. You're, you're, you're cut right in the middle of the West Coast. You could ask for a $3 billion 
expansion team fee here, which goes directly to Major League Baseball, is split between all the owners and you make all this money because it's Vegas. Nashville, probably two, 1.5 billion, you know, San Antonio, probably a billion. Like we get the list can go on. Vegas is probably the hottest market to do an expansion team. You've yeah. allowed the worst owner to bring a terrible organization. There's one singular minor leaguer that I'm excited about in this A's minor league system that might be a superstar, maybe one. That's Tyler Solderstrom. And you're going to tell me that you didn't allow Vegas to get an expansion team after the success of the Golden Knights, which was an expansion team. A team drafted amongst players in the current league and formed only to win a title six years later. I think it's a mistake for Major League Baseball to have allowed the A's to come to Vegas. I think Vegas loves the idea of it being their team. The Raiders are not their, our team. The Raiders are Oakland and LA, right? And like that list goes on with the amount of time. They're the Raiders. Raiders. They're the Raiders. They're not the Vegas Raiders. And the A's aren't going to be the Vegas A's. You're going to be the Oakland A's for four or five years until things change. So to just wrap this conversation, I, I just I think it's a mistake that they didn't go expansion. Um, and I think it's a mistake that Major League Baseball will ultimately feel for 10 to 15 years before this fan base really takes to this organization. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just a, I don't know, just another big issue with decision making in Major League Baseball. Add it to the list, right? Yep. Um, <laughs> let's get on to our NFC North preview here. Excited. So we're going to do this in, I guess, three parts. We, it's not going to be broken up all dramatically by chapters, but um, correct me if I'm wrong here, Matt. We're going to go through each team. We're just going to go through the rosters, chat a little bit about how the teams finished the season, where they are now, and then we'll move into just kind of like a grading period. And then lastly, we'll just go through each team. Who do we like at quarterback, um, rank of one through four, running back, receiver, defense, yada, yada. So we're going to start in order from finishing last year. So the Minnesota Vikings won the division last year in the NFC North. They lost in the playoffs. No surprise there. And they've had a lot of turnover <laughs> and no bigger turnover than what was it? This last week, a few days ago, they announced that they're going to cut their pro bowl running back Dalvin cook. Now, their roster in Minnesota is still strong. They have Justin Jefferson, right? They have Kirk Cousins, but the Vikings are going to have a much different look and feel this year. They've won 13 games last year. I just don't see that happening again, Matt. What do you feel about this roster and the current state of the Vikings? Matt, remind me the name of their head coach. I don't even know because they fired Zimmer and there was uh what was the kid's name? It's a guy from the from Rams. the Rams, yeah. Is it O'Connell? O'Connell sounds right. I'm looking yeah, for it. Yeah, I think the, that sounds right on too. The page as we speak. And and the reason I wanted to bring that up is because this is gonna be a very interesting profile with what he did with the Rams now, kind of assimilating that into what the Vikings are gonna do. Like he doesn't have a running back. I'm supposed to be honest. Like Alexander Madison, we've we've spoke about this either on air or off air. To me, he's not a lead back. He's a guy that you could absolutely rely on as a spillback when, you know, Cooks was out, like definitely could have a 100-yard game, could have a 60-yard on 22 attempts. But he was a guy that was going to definitely be good enough. Um, they're going to rely on him to be number one back for 17 games. Ty Chandler is a backup. 
couple nobodies. Third string right there. They have their kick returner, punt returner um, as their fourth string right now, who really shouldn't be used in a backfield role. No. Um, but the reason I bring up O'Connell is because you've got the wide receivers, you've got the quarterback to execute his system. We've seen it over the last couple of years, especially last year with his ability to spread out the ball and really push this offense through the passing attack. I think ultimately what you're going to see is just a high volume target through Adelson and Jefferson all season with Hawkinson also putting up high target numbers. You know, Hawkinson being this third outlet, probably the number two to Jefferson in reality and Adelson being the number three. But like they've got the they've got the weapons to utilize his kind of offense. So I'm not as concerned as I would have been. Um, the problem is they're a Kirk Cousins injury away from being oh, yeah. a disaster. Um, they're a Justin Jefferson injury away from being a disaster and they've put all the emphasis on we've got to got to keep the wide receivers and Hawkinson healthy quarterback healthy like there is no um, level for error without having a running back yeah that's a really good point because I didn't think about that obviously they felt comfortable enough getting rid of Cook right Um, I don't know how I necessarily feel about it but I really like the point you make there because if you even think about the LA Rams and that system they ran, who was the running back, right? Mm-hmm. Even the year that they won the title, the yeah. running back did not really have much of an impact on the game. Um, I know acres and all this stuff, right? But these guys weren't pro bowl running backs and still aren't in LA. And they're obviously the system's doing well. I agree with you. They're a Jefferson injury away. They're honestly an Alexander Madison injury away from really being um, one dimensional on offense. But at the end of the day, that offensive receiving room with Hawkinson, even Josh Oliver, the signing uh, signing him from Baltimore, he's a nice player. Um, they they have a lot to look forward to on offense, but we'll see how they go in filling that hole for Dalvin Cook. Now to the defensive side of things, this is where you and I disagree a little bit. I was a little bit lower on the Vikings D than you were, but you made a really good point during prep. The Byron Murphy signing at cornerback cannot be overlooked. Definitely an upgrade from Patrick Peterson, even though he's an absolute legend. Um, and then you get Andrew Booth Jr. back for a year or two after a really solid first season. Um, Harrison Smith is still back for the, for the Minnesota Vikings. The only guy they just need to make sure they get dialed in is Daniel uh, uh, Hunter. He's holding out right now. It's early. They just reported back to camp, but... That secondary, which was my biggest concern from them, is actually has been tightened up a little bit. Well, and you're going to see this from kind of my breakdown of the NFC North um, throughout the next three teams. Concern with the pass rush from almost all of these teams. The Vikings are the only team that I'm like, you know what? It could be moderate. Um, And that's presuming, as you said, Hunter gets signed. And you know what, Matt? Maybe that's why they had to let Cooks go. Maybe it was, we need Hunter. The entire facet of this defense in the foundation that we're building is that we have Hunter and Davenport and Lowry. We got three guys that can at least apply pressure. And without Hunter, we're just as bad as the other three teams in this division. So let's go. Let's get the money for him and we'll figure out the running back position, especially knowing our head coaches can execute with third string guys like he did in L.A. Yeah. Um, And I mean, Hunter and Davenport for me, Davenport needs to show a little bit more. Right. He was a first round pick um historically traded up from for the saints to get him from green bay hasn't really showcased the big time first round potential that we expected but i think in the right system maybe you'll see eight to ten sacks this season from him 
Um, I, I like that pairing a lot. And what it's only going to do is it's going to make Booth and Murray's job a lot easier too. And that's something that we're going to talk about as we get to the Lions. Like, if you have a shaky secondary or guys that need to take the next step forward, you've got to give them time. This will be a narrative we talk about a lot with these teams. So I like I like Hunter. I like Davenport. Um, really like Murray on this team. Booth needs to take the step forward. Murray and Booth are the variables for me on this team that could win the division for the Vikings is, do they take a step forward? And Smith has to be 33 at this point. <laughs> at least. Yeah, he's, he's been around old. for a while. But I, my takeaway, I guess, would be um, you've got a veteran that can be there. He's 34. Um, this is probably his last year. Let's be real. Um, he can get these young guys to where they need to be. He can be the leader of that defense. And, you know, I, I still think I have weaknesses written down for the Vikings. Offensive line right side is kind of a question mark for me. I, I'm not too familiar with the names. Running back is just completely obvious. Um, and then safeties. You talked about Harrison's age, you know, like, can he give them one more good year? Yeah, I, I like Harrison Smith. He's one of my favorite Vikings watching them twice a year. He's always torn us up, but I don't know. He definitely took a step back last year. I was shocked to see him come back. Obviously, they got rid of Thielen, too. I forgot to m- mention that at the beginning, but I think the Vikings will be OK. I'm a little bit more optimistic about them than some of the other teams in this division, but I digress. We'll get to that in the breakdowns of both teams here in a second. Let's move on to the team that finished second in the division, which was the, your, your Detroit lions. Um, They shook up the roster as well. They got rid of Deandre Swift, brought in David Montgomery reached draft uh, Jameer Gibbs. But we both, as we talked about a month and a half ago during the draft, we listed off the guys they drafted. Can't be mad about who they ended up with. Doesn't matter where they picked him. Um, we'll get to the wide receiver room, but it's Amon Ross St. Brown, a suspended Jameson William, and then Marvin Jones, Josh Reynolds. Um, it's a tough room out there in Detroit at wide receiver. They also have a lot of question marks at tight end after losing uh, Hawkinson last year, even though those guys did play better. And then, of course, they have Jared Goff, right? So he is coming back after a pretty good season. And then the defense is held down by the rookie, well, the second-year player, Aiden Hutchinson. They just drafted Jack Campbell, but they finally shirt up the secondary a little bit, got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, Emmanuel Mosley, who's coming off an injury, and then Tracy Walker as well. So what are your thoughts on this year's Detroit Lions um, team? Now that they're a little bit more hyped, they are favorited to win the division. So maybe they aren't your team anymore because they're not as much of an underdog. Yeah, that's kind of the leading point, which was I, I love to watch them build this constructed roster last year and fight and be the underdog. And Williams is now gone, right? He's in uh, New Orleans. I, I don't really understand allowing um, him to leave and then signing Montgomery. Like I'm still very confused on that. The Swift trade and really like let, letting go of Swift, let's just say that, and getting Gibbs. I get that. Swift had yeah. issues there. Um, Deuce Daly just – him and Deuce didn't get along. He's, Deuce just is a traditional running back, put his head down, does everything right. Swift is more of the uh, big-time home run hitter that just relies on pure athleticism and that just doesn't work with what the organization's philosophy is, which is being hard-nosed – foundationally fundamentally driven players and coaches. So I understood that. I'm interested to see how it pairs. I still like Gibbs and Montgomery. Um, I think that's probably what do we have it listed as probably two in the division for running backs right now. Yeah. Two. Yeah. Um, dude, the wide receiver room just concerns me. And I, 
I think when looking at this, if Jamison was there, I'd have a completely different feel on this. A hundred percent. But because he's not week one, five weeks is no joke. Like that's enough to knock you out of division champ position. Um, and I said to you, well, Amon Ra is going to get the volume and like Laporte is a nice second round pick from Iowa. Laporte is a rookie. Amon Ra's little. Like when we're drafting Amon Ra in fantasy, like the question isn't when does, does he get hurt? It's when does he get hurt? Right. Um, so I have concerns there, but I think we're going to see probably 40 rushes per game to kick off the season. Montgomery and Gibbs are going to be getting the ball immediately. If it's not 40, it's 30, and Gibbs is going to be getting five to six to seven targets in the past game. And other than that, love the offensive line. We have loved them for years. I like Hooker as a backup. I think out of all these teams, I know he won't play this year, but I, I think at least there's a backup option there. Um, again, Laporta, I think he's a strength, but again, being a rookie, you can't have huge high expectations. And then Brian Branch, um, probably my X factor here. Like they got him second round, a good amount of teams passed on him that could have used a safety. You and I questioned that why pass on the number one safety in the draft in the second round? Is he a steal? Um, and can he be a guy for this team that, that takes them to the next level? And then lastly, the concern for me is pass rush. Um, Hutchinson obviously is, he's a guy. We don't worry about that. But as of right now in the depth chart, James Harrison is their number two rush. And um, it's question marks in the secondary. We know we talked yeah. about it with the Vikings. Like James Harrison is not a good enough second option. And with a <laughs> shaky secondary, are these guys going to really be exposed because the Lions just can't bring enough pressure? Yeah, it's James Houston. You said Harrison in the press. Did I say Harrison well, again? That's, yeah, it's yeah, okay. Dude. Uh, <laughs> he's a be- he's a beast. I would like yeah, him a lot more gonna... if they had James Harrison. You know, sure. That'd be a different story. <laughs> um, them in the uh, them in Minnesota definitely have massive question marks on their front seven. Right, that's going to make or break their defense. I think both teams have the first two teams we talked about here have shored up the secondary, but no secondary can hold up long enough if you can't get pressure on the quarterback. Now, Hunter Hutchinson, that's pretty even, right? And then after that, it is kind of a crapshoot and a free for all for both teams. So we'll see how that holds up, and that's going to be a big determining factor on the success for both of these favorites in the division. These are still the top two favorites in the division to win this upcoming years minnesota and detroit but big but is that if they can't control the ball and run the ball and play with a lead the lions are going to have a lot of trouble this year and will they be able to capitalize in the red zone and score all those goal to go touchdowns like they did with jamal williams last year with montgomery and with gibbs that's a huge huge question mark for me as well because that's something that williams did incredibly well i don't know how it happened but he scored what like 17 touchdowns last year and that is that's something that's going to be tough to replicate from detroit especially now being a favorite and not going to be overlooked by most teams that are on their schedule i still like detroit but the question marks are big and they're very concerning for me and then there's obviously the jared goff factor right like what goff are we going to get is he going to be able to play outdoors because we know he plays good at home so a lot of questions. Well, and I think, you know, as we talked about this Lions team going into last year, the question was, can Goff step up? Sure. You know, Williams, Jamison was out, you know, presumably most of the season did come back, didn't really do much for the team, but was there Had a couple of nice highlights. Um, but Goff really did step up. And 
going into this next team we're going to talk about, you know, if Jordan Love can take the same step forward that Goff took last year. Right. It's pretty simple for me in this division because we, no one, everyone discredited the Lions because it was, well, Goff is Goff, right? Goff sucks. Correct. And it's like, well, yeah, but Goff took the step forward with the weapons he had and he made the best of it, right? Willie, you know, Jamal was a big piece in that, but there were pieces around Goff that he elevated as well. So I don't think you have the same. Um, talent level around Goff that you had going into last season that you necessarily have going into this season, they lost Hawkinson. You you sub him out for a second round tight end. Like tight ends yep. are the most difficult positions in the NFL to learn because you're doing blocking and pass catching. Um, but I, I I still like the team. It's it's just this these first two teams have some glaring holes for being favorites to to win a division. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, we'll move to the Packers, the third team of the division, our team. And you're right. It's up to Jordan Love. He's the X factor. We all know it. He's the reason the Packers have the third best odds. Um, I think they're picked for seven and a half wins this year, even though they had eight last year with Rodgers and all this stuff. But fortunately for Love is the roster's nice, right? I'd say the Packers have either the best or second best line right after the Lions, And that's something that's big for golf as well. The Lions have a fantastic offensive line that that's only improving. Um, the Packers probably have the best two, the best left offensive tackle and left guard in the league with Bakhtiari and Eldon Jenkins, right? They're up there. They're top five, at least no argument there. Um, they have arguably the best running back duo, in the game with Jones and Dylan, their top five duo in the league. Um, the wide receiver room, we're high on them because we're fans of the team and we will rank them appropriately in the next part of this, but they've got a lot of upside with Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, right? They just drafted Jordan Reed. Samari, uh, Samari Toure, it looks great after a nice, um, a nice season last year. A couple rookie tight ends and then most importantly, the defense, right, Matt? The defense is going to start and stop the Packers season this year. It's going to be led by Jair Alexander, um, Russell Douglas, Devondre Campbell, Rashawn Gary when he gets back. And there's really only one question mark on the entire defensive roster, and it's at safety. The Packers have the pieces to really, really make some noise in this division, but it starts and stop with that guy with the last name Love. Yeah, I mean... This, there's no question. We just talked about it with Goff going into last year. Love is the determining factor. If Love can give them a Jared Goff performance, the Packers win this division, and its I don't even think it's close. Um, I have them high upside as 13 wins. If Love can take that step, I'm not expecting that. I'm expecting 9, 10 wins if you get a decent Jordan Love. Uh, and that's with the idea that you run heavily. You know, you utilize that number one strength that you have, which is Dylan and Jones. And I've, we've said this for years now, 40 rushes a game, just pound <laughs> the ground and allow love to utilize Reed and utilize Romeo Dobbs as a possession receiver and take a shot once or twice a game on a play action to Watson. But the question marks are, I think, similar to the quarterback position, which is it's youth, you know, tight end position. We have two young drafted tight ends same problem that we just talked about with laporta for the lions right 
Like, sure, there's a lot of like hype on them right now coming out of camp, but it's like they're still young rookies. They're going to make some mistakes. They're going to overrun some routes. There's going to be some interceptions that are on them. Um, that's just the reality of, of choosing this youth movement and not bringing in a veteran tight end. Oh, by the way, um, Mercedes Lewis is re-signing with Green Bay. Should be this week. Love that. Um, next question. Zach Tom, right tackle. Had a yep. really nice rotating 2022 season. Um, question mark, though, right? He's got, he has to step in, presumably, to his starter's role. And you don't have him as that versatility. And then you talked about safety. We brought in Owens. Uh, we chose to bring in a guy off the street. Player development loved him. Um, Packers have some really good player development guys that brought Russell, Russell Douglas in and has it's now a number two cornerback on a good defense. So can they hit on Owens? If they hit on Owens, we're talking about a very, very good secondary. We're talking about probably top 10. I want to say top five, but probably yeah, top 10 in the push, league. Push, pushing five for sure. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, the question marks for me, it's just youth, right? Like these, there are teams in the league every season that take the step with youth and everyone develops and everyone does their job. And like the team's like, damn, like, you know, everyone's firing. We didn't see this coming. And it's like, okay, there are also teams that have holes all over the field because their youth, <laughs> right. their youth just didn't step up or was not ready. That was, the Green Bay ready. Yeah. That was our wide receiver room for seven weeks last year. So youth is definitely my weakness for Green Bay. Um, but I, I like what I see, and I think if you take the quarterback position out of all four of these teams and you just solely evaluate them on everything else, I think for me it's Green Bay, and it's pretty easy. The problem is the quarterback position is the highest-rated variable rate on our chart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, in as it should be, right? It's the most yeah. important position in the game. But, yeah, I agree with you. The Packers roster is ready for a run, but it's nice. They're young. I... I think my best upside is like 11 wins. I don't even think 13. I know their schedule is kind of easy this year too, but you said it, there's going to be a lot of mental mistakes. There's going to be a lot of learning, you know, there's going to be a lot of what the heck was that? But that for the first time is something I'm really looking forward to. Not for the first time, but the first time in a long time as a fan, I'm going to genuinely enjoy love throwing across his body across the middle for a horrible interception. I'm going to be like, what the fuck was that? It's like, oh, that's just being a fan of a normal team, not having a all-time quarterback going for you. Um, let's move on to the last team before we move to our next chapter of this. Chicago Bears. Um, hey, Bears fans, you guys did just have the number one pick. Okay, like let's let's all this is just typical June Bears stuff that I see online. Oh, they're gonna be so great. Fields is amazing, blah blah blah. blah. Um, I love their receivers, actually. As long as Claypool stays healthy, I think him at a number three, very good. I do also love their tight end room. Cole Komet, Bob Tunyon, really, really nice. Outside of that, obviously, Fields has a lot of question marks. can run the hell out of that ball. This is the year I want to see Ohio State Fields. Because if you go back to our draft series two years ago when he got drafted, we loved him. We loved what we could do throwing the ball, not running. And he hasn't proven that yet in the NFL. Their offensive line, atrocious. A lot of question marks. Tevin Jenkins needs to come back healthy, and their rookie needs to hit this year. Defense. Outside of those two guys they signed at linebacker, it is tough out there on that defense. Edmonds and Edwards are going to have to play at an all-pro Brian Urlacher level for these guys to be competent. 
in my opinion. I think undoubtedly the Bears are the worst team in this division, roster-wise. If Fields can take this Pro Bowl jump that they need from him, I think they have a shot to make a run at the division. But I unfortunately need to see it before I'm going to project them any farther. But this roster, like you said, you take away the quarterback from this roster, it's um, it bad. could be better. It's bad. But they're still um, rebuilding. They are. They had the number one pick, you know? Well, and listen, like, again, it's June. It's June. TikTok, Twitter, absolute nonsense right now. Oh, yeah. And um, going through the depth chart, like, I try and be as, like neutral as possible especially with doing the north because we are packer fans right um anytime you see a rookie starting a cornerback you're scratching your head a little bit you're like oh this isn't good even when the packers just two years ago had theirs um stevenson out of miami second round pick cornerback two right now slated depth chart on cbs don't like that johnson crosses the field from him pretty good player i think he's good an play. absolute starter uh, i would, would love him to be a number two think being a number one is it's okay on a rebuilding team um as you said Edmonds and edwards they've had their own issues in this league and they got signed for a lot of money they're going to be out there having having their hands full at times um and yet here we are again questioning where's the rush where's the pressure coming from and while yes i think the wide receiver tight end position is a huge strength fields accuracy has been in question his entire career does he take that step this season? Does yeah. he step into the role, which is cool, collected, the ability to be a pocket passer at times? Um, Claypool did not look good after the trade. Um, no. Do we do we see that change? You know, I, I expect for him to have a better twenty twenty three, but did they just give up arguably the first pick in the second round for nothing? Um, but again, you talked about it, rebuilding. They made the trade down from one this season, accumulated assets. You know, they are probably two years behind where the Lions were. So realistically, I think putting these expectations on the Bears is unfair. I, and I don't think the I don't think the Bears probably have these expectations. If you were really to sit down at the front office and say this, um, this is the season though, where Justin Fields is either in or out. If come week 17, he continues to showcase himself as an elite level runner, but not a passer. I think the Bears have no choice but to move on from him with the accumulated assets in the draft that they have because you can't just continue to go through the cycles of a rebuild like the Bears have been yeah. going. And it's a new front office as well. Um, I think they are probably going to evaluate this a little differently than the former front office did. Yep. I agree with you. Um, I hate to put all that pressure on fields right off the bat like this, but you're right. If he can't find that connection with Moore, Claypool, Mooney, if he can't throw for over 200 yards, um, it's going to be a problem for sure. Well, and Matt, lastly, Mooney was hurt a lot of last year. You know, like he's hurt right now. He's hurt so right is now. Claypool. It's like he, he didn't, he, they gave him nothing last year. So, I like, agree. I, I, I want to really see with some pluses what do you got? But they really did him a disservice last year. It's, it's looking back completely disrespectful. I mean, they were running him 15 to 20 times a game. Like, yeah. What is he supposed to do at that point besides try your best to stay healthy, which he actually did pretty well at hurt his shoulder, but not bad. Um, okay. I'm going to pass this over to you for the little grading scale criteria. Um, this will be a quick one. So just go through the criteria 
the points that you have, explain to the listener, and then we will, after that, rank each position and call it a day. Yeah, so this is, uh, we literally did this for about 10 minutes. I think this would be something fun for us to do and like really grade out for the full NFL. Maybe this is something we do later in summer, uh, put a little bit more thought into it. But we basically just said from the quarterback position, running back position, wide receiver, offensive line, and defense on a scale of one to 10, what is the importance for an NFL team? Um, We came to nine at the quarterback position, six, the running back position, seven for the wide receiver position nine for offensive line and 7.5 on defense. So the way I did it is I wrote out all the teams in the NFC North and nine is going to be number one. So for our quarterback, I've put golf cousins is your number one, which we'll get to in a little bit here. Um, Not much variance there, but it basically went nine, eight, seven, six. And the reason I would like us to dive a little deeper into this is because I think we could probably say, okay, on a scale of one to 10, what is golf really? But um, we did that each classification. So Goff takes one for quarterback, running backs, Green Bay gets one, Lions get two, Bears get three, Vikings get fourth. Um, that's six, five, four, three in points. Wide receiver, Vikings win pretty easily there. They're going to get the seven points. Bears are going to get the six with their trio. Packers are going to get the five points. And then the Lions are going to come in at four. Uh, offensive line, Lions take that at nine points. Packers come in at eight, Vikings seven, Bears six. And then defense, which was 7.5. The Packers are going to get the first grade at 7.5 points. Vikings, 6.5. Lions, Bears follow. So I added all those numbers up just to see, okay, what does it look like from a data perspective, even though the data is a little flawed? Um, And it's very close. Packers come in at the top with a 33.5 roster rating. Lions come in at two with a 32.5 roster rating. Vikings, three at 31.5. So from three three to one, you have a two point variance. And then the Bears, oh God, the Bears coming at a 26.5 roster right. rating. Which, I mean, that is pretty much how the actual odds in Vegas have it standing out too. So we'll get in a little bit more depth onto those numbers. <clears throat> but right now the Lions are plus 145 to win the division. Uh, Minnesota's plus 270. The Packers are plus 350. And the Bears are plus 420. So even though the bears are plus 420 that is the shortest odds by the lowest favorite in any division in the NFL so that shows it is anyone's division and vegas knows that i think it is obvious that the bears have even to a novice football fan unlike you and myself who watch every game pretty hardcore about fantasy do the draft blah 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 right you can just tell that the bears are a step behind the first 3 and you know the packers are actually higher than there should be, but they have a quarterback no one knows anything about. So they have to be a little bit lower, right? It makes sense why Vegas is doing it and also why our roster numbers here um, are the way that they are. But let's go back to the first criteria here that you and I did disagree on is you're picking Goff over Kirk Cousins. I want to hear your argument for that because I actually like completely disagree with you. <laughs> Well, it, it really comes down to the ability of, for Goff to take the step that he took last year. And it also is the ability that uh, I'm looking back on past ability. Goff has been in a Super Bowl. Goff has led a team. He has thrown for 500 yards against the Chiefs. Goff has the ability with weapons in front of him to be just as much as what Cousins is, if not better, in my opinion, from past track record history. 
if you really look at the weapons that has been that have been surrounded by Goff in Detroit, it's kind of been a bunch of nothings until Aminra got there and kind of exploded onto the scenes. Hawkinson at times showcased ability. Jamison Williams is really going to be the first chance for him to have possibly an elite level wide receiver. And I think we could step into 4,500 yards, Jared Goff. It's also that third level that we've really been looking for, for Goff to have dating back to his time with Brandon Cooks. So I, I think for me, Goff takes the step because of past success, because of what he did last year and because of repetitive mistakes and letdowns by Kirk Cousins. Uh, Kirk Cousins, I don't, I do not believe that he is a primetime player. I do not believe he wins the big time game. I don't have those same concerns for Goff, not yet. Sure, lost in the Super Bowl, but he got to the Super Bowl. Um, it's just a, it's a discount on Cousins more so than it is a a buy on Goff. Yeah, I mean, see, I just this is why I totally agree with you because I just don't think Goff was any reason that the Ram that Rams team specifically made it to the Super Bowl. Their defense was elite. They had a great running game. Um, there's a lot more that went into it, and he pretty much lost in the Super Bowl. He played so shitty, anyways. Um, and then I I I don't really care about that, but the whole Kirk Cousins is not a primetime, big-time player, is kind of getting squashed, and he is not the reason they lost that game to the Giants in the playoffs. He did throw for like 400 yards, multiple touchdowns, was the only reason they were in the game throughout the entirety um, of that playoff loss to the Giants. It's not his fault that his defense can't defend anyone, and that's my biggest concern with Minnesota is we're going to have that same exact issue that they had last year once the playoffs came around and once they lost to certain teams in the regular season, even though they won all those games. Think back to the game against Dallas. Minnesota offensively looked great, but then Tony Pollard... CD lamb, Zeke Elliott just scored all these points. I don't think, I think cousins has graduated from playoff choker and from primetime Kirk being a buckler. He's actually put it up the best stats by far in the division. And I, if I'm going to bat preseason with any of these QBs in a ranking system, like we're doing now, I don't think, I think it's absolutely disrespectful to put golf in front of Kirk cousins. Kirk cousins. Yes. Has had better weapons but he's also played a better quarterback Goff had one really nice year last year for sure but i don't know i just so i just think i think dis- you're discrediting kirk pretty hard so yeah but i feel like you're over credit i mean he has the number one wide receiver in football sure right like what is what does your golf have he's a five I mean, nine Amin-Ra's, slot receiver he, he's five nine. top five yeah no nah, no he's not let's go through him right now top eight just justin jefferson right sure that's easy chase Easy. Diggs, easy. Um, Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, easy. Cooper Cup, easy. Like, we can keep going with this. Right. Um, Cousins had less than 100 yards more than Goff did last year. Excuse me, 112 yards more. Um, 0.8% completion percentage above him. Cousins is 35 years old this season. Um, And he plays with Justin Jefferson. I understand where you're coming from with this idea that Cousins is better, but I'm if you give me a game for my life right now, I'm not taking Kirk Cousins. I'm taking Jared Goff. He's 35 with a bad offensive line, no running game, like all of those things to get 35, no offensive yeah, line, no running fault, man. Though. Sure, but it's still having to perform at the level of a, a good quarterback. You know, like 
look at Rodgers when he had no wide receivers. He's still Aaron Rodgers, but he didn't perform at the level that we expected. And I still think Goff with Williams changes the profile quite a bit. Sure. Now we're going to, I mean, we're not, we're not going to change each other's opinions on this. This is just is what it is. And I will say, even at the height of what Jordan Love can do this season, from my projections, I don't think he cracks at the top two unless we I see agree. an athletic, an athletically driven performance. Um, I do think if Fields takes the step, though, it's pretty easily Fields. He could be number one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. That's why I put love four and you put fields three or you put love three. I mean, they're mm-hmm. interchangeable. The, the question mark is so big on both of those guys, right? Because the only way Jordan pops into the top two or the best one is if he has his Mahomes breakout season, not saying he's going to be Mahomes, but when Mahomes replaced Alex Smith and threw for 50 touchdowns or whatever, he ended up doing that first season, like, that's the kind of stuff we're going to need to see from love to be like, yeah, he's by far better than Goff and, um, and cousins, which obviously you and I are hoping is going to happen, but realistically, um, he's not going to be thrown for the, for the yardage and, um, touchdowns that those top two guys are because he's going to, he's going to lean on the running game. It is what it is. And kind of take translating what we were just talking about with the, the Goff and cousins comparison is you look at Mahomes, he stepped into a position with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. You know, you're talking about Love stepping into his position here with a rookie tight end room. Right. And two guys he played practice squad with for yes. a season, right? They, you know, we love Dobbs and Watson, but taking the fan out of it, like it's we'll a very get to different the receiver room in a second. Yeah, but it's a yeah. it's a very different like comeuppance, right? Like, and that's yeah. kind of what I'm looking at when you look at what can you really project year one? Well, Hill and Kelsey are elite level, probably at this projection Hall of Fame level players. 100%. It's very different when you have a, a what is it, fourth year? A- Andy Reid, too. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Correct. Um, I don't have much to say about the running back room. I think we nailed that. Green Bay is definitely number one. I think the biggest thing with the running back room is that this division is going to be one. I, I think eh, maybe this will be my take for it. It's like, the division may or may not be one in the running back room this year in this division because Green Bay has a strong one. Detroit has a strong one. And I'm even going to put the Bears up there with a pretty strong running back room. Khalil Herbert's nice. I like the signing of uh, Dante Foreman and obviously Fields, right? He's going to be factored into that. That might change the landscape of this entire division and put Minnesota at the very bottom if these three teams just decide to play, no, we're going to control the clock. Fine, Minnesota, we know you're going to pass every single time. We're going to run the clock and play defense against you, and you're going to have no answer for it. Um, that could be something we see this year, but I don't know if you have anything else. That That's just what came to mind when I was looking at these different running back rooms is those three teams have a distinct advantage over Minnesota. Well, yeah, and, and that kind of goes right back into the, the philosophy that we're going to see with the Vikings, I think you said yeah. it perfectly. If the Bears find success, right, that could be the one of one where the Vikings take one, the Bears take one, but the Bears just simply at home. I haven't looked at the schedule, but let's just say in December when it's ten degrees, just control the clock for thirty-eight minutes, and yep. it's just a ground and pound, and the Vikings just can't get things going, right? 
and that's the risk you take. Now, this is something I wanted to ask add when we were when we were talking about the Vikings. If they happen to bring in uh, Fournette, I'm completely different sure. about all of yeah, this. Yeah, um, I agree. You know, I think I think Fournette's probably the only one that's out there that changes the concept because I still think he has the lead back role in him for at least one more year. I don't think that Zeke Elliott does, but I think Fournette could. Um, I do expect they make a move because this is just pathetic. It's bad. It's, it's bad. bad. I think they they know Madison cannot be the workhorse. Like he's a great number two. I think he's a great number two. Solid. Mm-hmm. You know, solid number two. Um, receiver room. I mean, with Justin Jefferson there, I think you and I both agreed. You just you got to put Minnesota number one. <laughs> like you just you just can't not put him there with Jefferson there. Um, you and I are both pretty high on Jordan Addison. And then I also like Osborne as a two or three as well. The loss of Thielen's big, but I think Thielen was still hanging on by a thread because he was on the other side of Justin Jefferson, right? Um, who do you have as the number two wide receiver room in this division? Um, I just wanted to add with the Vikings, I'm taking Osborne probably over the Bears' second and third wide receivers. I'm taking Osborne. Really? Taking Osborne probably over Reed only for the Packers. And I'm taking Osborne as the number two best wide receiver on the Lions if Jamison's out of this equation. Sure, sure. Okay, I'm not disrespecting either him or Amon Ra with that. It's just Marvin Jones is getting old. So you're taking Dobbs and um, Watson over Mooney and Claypool? No, no, no. I'm, I have the Bears. To be clear. I have the Bears too. Um because you said Bears, Reed Packers. on Green Bay. That's why I'm asking, because you said Reed would be yeah, the only guy. But but the Bears having Mooney and Moore, they he bumps. And Claypool, like, yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, I think Claypool was I think Claypool's a disaster. Um <laughs> but I'm not I need to see one more disastrous season before I'm out on him. And it's nothing For about sure. the TikTok and all that. It's what he did on the field last year. Sure. It was a disaster. Um do you really think with a bad out? Like, what has changed about this roster to make you think Claypool's going to be what he was in Pittsburgh, right? Um, but DJ Moore is the second best wide receiver in this division. Val, yeah. And yeah. it's it's light years ahead of yeah. everyone else. So that automatically gives the Bears the the up on the Packers. Yeah. Um, I would say Amon Ra is probably the third best wide receiver in this division, but sure. because there's no depth behind him, I have the Packers three because we've seen how explosive um, Watson can be. We've seen how good at times Dobbs can be. And, and I think Reed, I think Reed's going to be the real deal at the slot position. So the Lions have to be number four for me, but as soon as Williams gets back, William, you probably jump them. Yeah. William, yeah. Jameson Williamson. Yeah. If, um, if you give, but the thing is, is like, the thing is there is that you give, say you give them them as in the Lions, Amon Ra and Williams. Sure. After that, I know every guy on the Packers is better. Like and, Reynolds and that's is why, nice, yeah. and no. you know, like, but the, we know who those guys are. They're okay number three receivers. Like they'll have that one random Sunday they catch two touchdowns and ruin your fantasy day or whatever. You know, they're just not. They're not reliable options where Dobbs and Watson have potential if they play to their potential to make a Pro Bowl this year. Straight up, you know? And I don't think any of those guys outside of Williams and obviously Amon Ross St. Brown can. Well, and, and that's why for me it's Reed. Like, if Reed's a 
80 for 800 guy. Packers are still going to hold. I think realistically, end of season projection is going to be Vikings, Packers, Lions, Bears. I think at the end of the season, Mooney's done. Claypool's done. I think the Bears are completely reshuffling this wide receiver room. Mooney can't stay healthy. I like the talent, but he can't stay healthy. Yeah. Uh, Claypool just didn't take to the team. I don't expect him to take to the team. And I expect Amon Ron Williams to be really good players. Sure. But the Packers have the the kind of the up on the lines just because there's depth. Like we're seeing it right now with Williams out. This is a massive, massive hole that they didn't expect to have to worry about. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you want to do tight ends or just move to defense? Yeah, I mean, outside of the Bears, it's, it's a big question of, marks yeah, everywhere. Titans too with Hawkinson, right? Talk, uh, Titans. You mean Minnesota, me, Minnesota Vikings, <laughs> um, Bears, and then question marks. So. Yeah, I'd take Minnesota first too because Hawkinson is better than Komet and Tanyan combined. Although, listen, Komet, Komet could have, it, you could have a good Loved year. him last year. Yeah. And he finally showed up at the end of the year. So we'll see. But um, I agree. Defense, Packers number one, 100%. Yeah. Um, if the safeties, Savage and um, Owens, can be above average, we're talking, and fucking Barry isn't Barry, which is also a massive factor in all this. They're top five in the league. Um, who do you have rounding it out? You take Vikings, Minnesota or Detroit? Vikings, because I, I just like I like the pass rushing in Houston a, um, <laughs> a little less. Then I like Davenport. Um, and I like I like Byron Murphy, man. I really like Byron Murphy. Um, yeah. He's just got to put it together. Like Byron Murphy, to me, is definitely above what the Lions can offer, even with um, Johnson. Like, yeah. Uh, even Because even he had massive question marks before last year in that run he got on. Um, and then it's the Bears last, and it's just not even Yeah, close. I mean, that one, yeah. No. Goes without saying. I think you convinced me on Minnesota. A little bit, barely over the over Detroit, <laughs> but it's because I think their front sevens are both comparable. I think you can argue either way, right? Like, yeah. oh, I like Hutchinson, or oh, I like Hunter. I like Houston. I like Davenport, right? Which, eh, but you know what I mean. Oh, I like the middle linebacker here. No, I like Jack Campbell. You know, there's so many questions, but if you put pen to paper, I'm taking Harrison Smith over their defense or their, over their safety. I don't care how old he is. And the Murphy, like you really hammered home the Murphy point pre-show. And as we've been recording here, I think you've convinced me. But this could easily be Green Bay. Or this could be Detroit, Green Bay, Minnesota, Chicago at the end of the year, right? Like I think Detroit has a lot more potential to make the jump. I think Minnesota is where they are. To my point about Kirk Cousins, right? It wasn't his fault they lost the game. I don't think they made enough adequate improvements to sure up that defense, but Murphy is a step in the right direction. You're not going to have Danny Jones setting franchise records at the quarterback position against you. That's just inexcusable stuff. Yeah. And you know, I, I think the same could be said uh, in regards to like reclassifying these teams. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the lions take a huge step back this season. Same. Um, and I and I will pound it home every single time. The Packers had had no choice but to draft the kid out of Iowa in the first round because Gary's <laughs> out. 
Preston's getting older. Like this league is built on pass rush, right? Like that's the foundation the of the defense. Yes. And the Lions just having Hutchinson. I, I'm I'm so excited to watch those games because I'm excited to see what their defensive coordinator is going to do. Yeah, me too. Um, way too early to be like, oh, I'm picking this team. Way too early. So we yeah. will save that for freaking two and a half Vikings. months from now, for sure. <laughs> um, but we're at 76 minutes, so let's call it. Everyone, it's been beautiful talking to you. Matt, it was great seeing you in Vegas. We'll be back next week talking to Matt in the city of champions, in the city of athletics. Have a good weekend, guys.